Hello and welcome to Trenta, 30-something conversations with 30-somethings for 30-somethings and the 30-something else. Joining me tonight is a good friend of mine. I thought he'd be the perfect guest for our topic for today, which is getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. Our guest tonight, I've known him for like, I guess more than 20 years, right? So, yeah, I think so. I think more than that. Yeah, more than 20 years. And as far as I can remember, he, he, he's always the one who's been, who's never ashamed to ask uncomfortable questions. And he's admitted <laughs> that he loves to talk. So, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Lloyd Besson. Welcome. Hello. So I started my first episode last week and I asked my guests to give their ASL. So ah. you don't mind? Would you give your ASL? Hi, my name is Lloyd. I'm 31 years old. Obviously I'm male, but I live in Tokyo. All right. Speaking of Tokyo, okay, I wanted to start since our topic is, you know, getting comfortable with the uncomfortable, I wanted to start about your journey to Tokyo. What brought you there? And I know you're celebrating your ninth year there by what month this year? About nine? Like soon, right? Like, I think in two months, yeah. Yeah, in two months. So take us through your journey to Tokyo. I mean, you know, right? Like, it was very... Um... I think moving to Tokyo for me wasn't anything special. It was all luck, right? Mm -hmm. So we were 22, one year after university, and then you were in law school. Mm -hmm. And um, I was living in, in Makati next to work. Sipalanka. Yeah, Sipalanka, right? And um, right across from my street was AIM. Mm. Yes. And then um, my friend, Martha, who you know as well, mm -hmm. um, on a Saturday, she was like, hi, Lloyd, are you home? And then I was like, yeah, just, um, just doing some work. And then she was like, would you mind like, um, coming along with me to uh, some random orientation from a company? And it's just next door at AIM. And I was like, oh, what's the brand? And she was like, I don't really know. It's some, some foreign company. And mm -hmm. they say the the pay is okay. So we had lunch and I was saying, are you sure you wanna go? And, um, and we went, right? And at the entrance of the seminar was a logo of Uniqlo. Mm -hmm. um, we know Uniqlo, like it's in Hong Kong, it's in Singapore. But um, at that time it hadn't opened in Manila, right? Not yet, not yet, not yeah. yet. So, so she wasn't sure what the brand was. Um, it was opening a year after that. And um, there was some, some interviews and I just went, through it because um, uh, they were going to pay for a free flight to Tokyo. <laughs> the idea was if you're going to pass through the whole interview process, they're going to fly you for a week in Tokyo for free. Free flights, free hotel, free food, mm -hmm. blah, blah. And then after the whole week, you might get a, a job offer. Mm -hmm. um, the idea of like getting a job offer when like 500 Filipinos were applying for it and they had applications across like 10, 15 countries, it didn't make sense, right? Like, whatever like let's do this for the let's just do this for the free trip mm -hmm. um but um so i got an offer 
and I was very lucky. One of like uh, I think they hired like fifty foreigners in twenty eleven, and then um, and they all flew us to Tokyo uh, in September. So it was my first autumn at twenty two, mm -hmm. and um, I was one of like uh, three four Filipinos in my batch, but all my neighbors were non Filipinos. Um, I was um, my good friends were from Hong Kong, and then I was I had some Russian batchmates, some people from the U.S. So mm -hmm. um, it was fun. But if you, if you look at it, it wasn't because I was I worked hard for an interview. I was lucky because a I live in Sipalanka next to him. B I went to um, school with Marth, who yeah. was a friend, and mm -hmm. C I was free that day. So everything was a consequence of different like streaks of luck. Mm-hmm. Yes. So when you got to Tokyo, I remember the first few months or the first few years at least, you shared about your struggles learning the language. Right. What was that like? I mean, you also learned French, right? When you went to JTA. Yeah, but like not not in the level you know now. No, but you all start the same way, right? And I think what's different is you lived in Nice. Is it, was it Nice? No, Nan. Yeah. Nan. You were in Nan for, is it, is it six months or a year? Four months. Four months. I think it's six months. <laughs> you, were in Nan for, you were in Nan for four months. And then, um, but you went there on your own. You know, you wanted to be in France or in Europe. And learning French was fun because I think there was an interest in your side, right? For me, I had zero interest in Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had zero interest in in the country even before like getting a job offer there. So the whole Lloyd going to Tokyo at 22 was about working for a big brand, mm -hmm. a brand that wasn't in the Philippines yet. The idea of like, because you know, right? Like, I wasn't like a model, like student. Like I wasn't. Dean's Lister, I also was in cum laude. Yeah. Um, I had a good job after uni, um, working for an ad agency it was mm -hmm. fun. But then I wasn't, I'm not sure with you because you went to law school, it was a different career path, but I wasn't one of those who wanted to get the L'Oreal, PNG jobs, the MTs, mm -hmm. and maybe like um, looking in retrospect, maybe it wasn't about a lack of interest, but maybe because I was insecure that I was an ME, I was a management honors back in university, and um, we're Cebuano, it's not our turf, so maybe I'm not meant for like this kind of career. So that was my initial sort of like, like looking back 10 years ago, I think that's probably, um, I was in denial of my insecurities. So I was telling myself that I didn't want the big job, chance for me to, to get that, like, uh, Type A is sort of like, mm -hmm. you know, nice job my resume. Um, I'm living overseas at an early age. It's a good salary, hopefully at some point, blah, blah, blah. So I was looking at Japan only as a career discussion. Like it was, I was here for a career. Mm -hmm. I wasn't here for Japan. I wasn't here to learn the language. I wasn't here to, mm -hmm. to, to get something from it, you know. So that was, that was probably my mistake. But it was a very, very hard mistake because um, I had a hard time learning. So I, I, I hit the wall. I, I wasn't enjoying learning Japanese. I never met local friends. I stick mm -hmm. to my friends. 
we only spoke English. Yeah. Um, we would skip classes. I cannot do my Japanese homeworks. That's what I did difficult. in France too. We skipped classes, the language classes. <laughs> <laughs> but would but look at you now, diba? Like you're so fluent in Japanese. No, so it's also <laughs> funny, right? Because um, no, it, 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 it's really funny because people would ask me that. Um, to all your listeners, whoever they are, <laughs> if they've been to Japan, um, they know that you know people barely speak English, right? Mm. You've been to Japan. I mean, we were we were hanging out like two months ago. Yeah. Um, um, and but many foreigners who've lived here for more than like five ten years, um, if they're an expat and they work for the big tech firms, the Googles and the you know all the, all the Netflixes of the world. Um, they can. They don't speak any Japanese, mm. and they live here for like five, ten years. Mm -hmm. They live in Japan. They work with Japanese colleagues, but for some reason, they never learn Japanese. Mm -hmm. So, when people ask me, "How did you learn Japanese?" Again, similar to me getting a job, I think it was just necessity because I was working for a mm -hmm. Japanese company. Yeah. So it, it, I have really zero intent to be fluent in Japanese. I, I had no interest in it. Like, um, but looking at it, out of necessity, like, which, yeah. worked out, which worked out for you in the end. I know, but then I think it's something that, what's, what's this, uh, this talk again, like, uh, being comfortable with the uncomfortable, right? Yeah. So I think, I think that's something that I would tell my younger self. It's like, um, when you're in a state of uncomfort, it's more of, you're uncomfortable because you're not sure what the end outcome would be, right? Mm -hmm. But I guess um, an educated understanding of what outcomes are out there for you, uncomfortable things don't necessarily have to be. I think you're only uncomfortable when you don't know what output you're getting out of it. Yeah. So I was very uncomfortable learning Japanese because I felt it was useless. It was like, I'm only learning Japanese because I can't order food. I'm only learning Japanese because nobody understands me, can't make friends. But then looking at me now, I'm learning Japanese because I, I have one in a hundred chance of being that one foreigner who can speak mm -hmm. the language. So it's like, I think the mindset was something that took time for me to get. And I think it's also kind of related to, remember we shared our thoughts on Tim Ferriss' vlog on being a specialized generalist like you really have to try to find your yeah 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 but then it's so hard to know what you want right that's true like but for you i guess you're i guess you're very lucky because you knew early on you want to be a lawyer yeah then but now i'm i'm unsure what type of lawyer i want to be right <laughs> right 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 but then the, the general path Right, so I think it's the same, same conversation, right? Uh -huh. So be, be, be a generalist enough to be flexible and adjust to what the needs require you to be, but then spe be specialized enough to have a unique space where yeah. you feel confident and you feel that you know, it's something that nobody else can do better than you, right? That's true. Yeah, and that's super hard to get to. Mm -hmm. it, it requires a certain level of self-awareness and dedication to what you want to improve on or what you want to learn further. And I think to this topic today on your, on your podcast, it's 
the tolerance to be uncomfortable. That's true. Is it the right word? Do you say tolerance? Is it right? Yeah. You the. Yeah, yeah, yeah I guess. I guess. Acceptance as well. Right, right, right. No, but then accepting comes after you've tolerated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it, it's a struggle, right? Like, like growth only comes when you're uncomfortable. When you're uncomfortable is when, you know, a unique when when something unique, you know, when your output becomes truly yours and is uniquely yours, is when you've grown enough to a level, um, and you've worked hard to a level that people don't usually get to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to go back to the one you mentioned about landing that one in a 500 chance of a job in Japan. Right. Knowing, knowing at the back of your, of your mind that you weren't really a top student, you weren't... Right, right. Etc., etc. Did that... Did, did getting into that program push you even more? to, you know, prove yourself when you got to Japan? To be honest, I, okay, now that I'm, I've never asked myself this, right? Like, proving myself. Um, no. I think, I think the first four years were survival. It was for survival. So, <laughs> you, I, I don't think you have mental energy. Like, it's very, very hard to explain to somebody else like um, what I've been through. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is probably why I have a very big um, sense of, like I have a very strong bond with my, my colleagues, the ones who you mm-hmm. know, went, you know, went through it with me. Because yeah. um, it was an experience that was very emotionally, um, what do you say, harassed? Like it emotionally harasses you. Like it emotionally... It, it, it's an emotionally scaring experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, sorry, you were you you were asking about um, did you want to push yourself, right? Like because yeah. I wasn't no. But the problem was when we were all here in Japan. Um, yeah, sure, fine. The first the interview, right? So we were every interview. I was with twenty, thirty people. Singapore, so they were all from the top schools, right? Like HKUST from Hong Kong, NUS from Singapore, and then like, fine, we're from Ateneo, it's a good school, but then in the general scheme of things, Ateneo mm-hmm. is like the top few hundred, right? Yeah. And they're all like Asian, you know, they're all Asian schools in the top hundred. Mm-hmm. So, so I had that complex in the first few months, but then when you get here, when, you, when, when we all got here, um, there was no time to think about that. Because can you imagine like you, right? Like imagine you, you have a doctorate in law and you are now specialized in a particular kind of law. Um, You've worked for a few years, but then tomorrow somebody tells you you have to work in the ER for COVID patients. Yeah. (laughs) Right? I think think it was that bad actually. we really had no time to think about our laurel. It was you were really, you were really thrown into. Yeah, it's like all you have to do every day was work your ass off in a mm-hmm. fucking store where nobody speaks English, <laughs> and they're like asking you for the most menial, shitty things, but you can't do anything because you can't speak Japanese. Yeah, it was very degrading, very um. Like, you would lose a lot of self-confidence just going through that. 
But I feel because you lo- you lose everything, you reach a point where you have nothing left anyway. <laughs> yeah, nothing left to lose. And nothing left to lose. I know. Like whatever effort you do is a step up. No matter how low yeah. you've been, yeah. it's a step up, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I guess to your to your question, which sorry, it was a very long segue. Um, there was, I think, um, again on theme with your with your podcast show today. When you're in an uncomfortable state, I don't think most people would have any any mental energy to think about menial things like your insecurities and your successes or. I think it's 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 really a survival mode. It, it's mm-hmm. quite, I think it's quite basic. It's like, it wasn't like food or shelter or security, but it was more like, if I lose this job, what's You're going next back. for me? Sort of You're going back to the yeah, I know, like a failure. You're going back a failure, right? So it was like, um, yeah. So 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 I guess I guess there was there was no mental energy to think about that at all. I remember also we talked about you being faced with the issue of ageism in right. in your industry. How did you cope with it? You mean now? Yeah. Now or before? Before. Especially when what you mentioned right before now. You would you would fake your age or you wouldn't mention your age because you didn't want to be looking down looked down upon. In a, in a way. Oh, it's, it, it's the same now, no? Until now? I don't know. I don't know back home in the Philippines if it's still relevant for you if people look look at you based on age or maybe because you have a law degree so people respect you and that's a different no. thing altogether. For me, still, it's yeah. still the same for you? Yeah, I feel that too. Do they ask you how old you are? No, but they see that I look young. And I'm a I'm a lady, so you know. <laughs> there's still that right. bias. So do you dress older? Not necessarily. I try to like put more makeup to look a bit. Older. Right, to cover, right, 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 and like put your head in a bun, maybe. No. Go <laughs> <laughs> that far. But yeah, how do you, how did you deal with ageism? So um. I think it was only the last two, three years where I have gotten to terms with, like, I'm very comfortable now and I'm very confident now of my skill level mm-hmm. that my age doesn't mean anything and doesn't mm-hmm. define my my skills and who I am in the workplace. Um, but before, before, like, two, three years... Like you know, since like until two three years ago, um, I when I was still in Uniqlo and I worked there for more than seven years because because of that I was very scared to leave Uniqlo. Um, I was unhappy in Uniqlo, but I was very scared to leave because um, I did not feel that there's any other job that will hire me for a good a good a good a, a good position with a good pay yeah. for someone my age. And I was 27, 28 back then, um, and that's mainly true. But um, so what's different in Japan versus, I guess, overseas is I'm not really sure if it's always done overseas. But here, when you change jobs before you get an offer, do you know that the firms would ask for your payslip? 
Your last face facelift? Yes. What? So that they can match? Yes. So it's a it's a very it's a very um, what's the correct term page? It's not repressed. It's a very um, it's uh, it's transparent. It, it, no, no, like a like a no, no. It's 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 actually repressive because um, to begin with, let's say if you're a woman and you have the good skill sets, but you're younger and because you're a woman and people actually look 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 down on you because you know Japan is quite a male culture. Mm -hmm. I think women who are probably quite skilled, they probably have the good. You know, like they had the right diploma, the right experiences, mm -hmm. but they're young, they're women, they probably earn a lot lesser than their male counterparts, right? So oh, the so fact that you have to show your payslip, yeah, it means that you can move jobs, you can be a new person, but then your payslip identifies who you are at that moment, right? So it's transparent yet restricting. Like your exactly, last exactly. Kind yeah. of where your next exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's like to your point, it's transparent. And the good thing with transparency is um, people do not like earn um, an absurd amount of money um, in a sort of an unfair way, which I'm sure in the Philippines it exists as people can like bullshit their way through big jobs, right? Mm -hmm. But then on the other side of the coin, it's like people who've been repressed, um, young people who have skill sets, driven people who just yeah. were unlucky and did not have the right breaks um, would be stuck in this sort of like vicious cycle where you'll never have a big pay to match your skill sets because you're young because you're female because you're non-japanese you know it's it's um that was a big issue um and and um i feel that i've sort of escaped that because i lied about my pay <laughs> <laughs> um the last firm that hired me um did not ask for the slip Mm -hmm. uh, but but I didn't lie about my pay. I just made sure. But I was paid enough. But I made sure that I did my right research. That I'll be yeah. paid fairly for the position, not not because I'm young. So um, to respect, they were very respectful. They never asked my age. Um, they never asked my pay slip. So it was basically based on you know a real conversation of my skill sets mm -hmm. and answering the questions. So that rarely happens in Japan. In Japan, isn't that, it considered discrimination to? you know ask for your age your but it's it's how the culture works like mm -hmm. um like literally this week um, i think two days ago a recruiter was called me up oh my god i, I hope my firm does not listen to this conversation <laughs> don't mention, don't mention the firm don't mention yeah. the firm but you you've already mentioned my name so they know me <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway um so no like, like a headhunter called me up just like randomly, I think they have a directory of numbers. Mm -hmm. So for some reason, they have my number. And she called me up. She asked me if I'm looking for a job. I said no, because I, I'm, I love my job now. No to my firm. I love my job now. So I'm not <laughs> looking for a job. <laughs> but um, but, <laughs> but um, she was asking me, fine, but you never know. In six months and one year, you might want to change jobs. Mm -hmm. And then they asked for my experience, and then um. I mean, if you actually look at my experience without seeing my face, you would probably think I'm older than who I am. Um, and I think I've worked really hard to get where I am with my job. And sure. she asked for my age in the end. Mm -hmm. She had, so what, when's your birthday? Then I said, my November 2888. And she said, oh, I thought you were in your 40s, was the first thing she said after I told my age. So I think it's, 
it's how the industry is, or no, not how the industry even. Um, I think it's how the the market is, and I think it's fine. But it's only fine if you have the cards to play. So if you were lucky with the right job, if you're lucky with being paid fairly, but um, if you're young, but then you're underpaid and you're underexperienced and you're harassed at work and you're in Japan, I think it's a really, really bad life. And I think most foreigners experience that. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's really hard for most people. What would you say overall? How would you rate your overall experience, work experience at least in Japan? Ten. Ten out of ten. Yeah, like I'm so happy I can say that now. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. we've had so many conversations, Paige. Yes, like, true. Do you remember that one conversation we've had that I was suicidal? Yeah. Like, like literally, like I wanted to jump off my bed. Yeah. It was that bad. Hmm. That's was I mean, um, why I'm so happy to hear you say that now because I really, I really saw you through the ups and downs of your whole almost ten years stay there. Right. Even you, Vash. But no, it's not that right. Like, I'm not. It's not a ten because I am happy. It's a ten because I know that me right now is a result of patience mm-hmm. and. Yeah, I think more than, more than hard work is patience, right? Like hard work and patience. And yeah. like if you look at it, if you look at it, if you look at things like in a very linear manner, maybe, maybe my career would have been better in an environment that had no language barriers, right? Maybe, ne? maybe. Let's say Singapore or Hong Kong. You know, our, our other friends, right? They, mm-hmm. They've moved on with very good careers in cities that are a lot more you know, multicultural, and I guess people are more diverse, and then language is never an issue, cultural background is never an issue, and Filipinos are very resilient, right? So lots of our Filipino friends are very, you know, successful career-wise mm-hmm. in regional positions, but then I would look at myself, maybe, um, you know, like, just on the basis of a career, it would have been better to take view of how I see myself and my self-awareness and like me knowing my dark spots and me knowing, you know, like how I am in my dark place. I think it's, I think living in Tokyo was like the best way for me to, I guess, mature that way. Mm-hmm. So no, no regrets. And thank you to Martha for dragging me along to AAF. <laughs> on, on a- true so I want to end with this last part I want to talk about your passions what you've what you've been up to aside from Wait, work there what do you mean end is it like 30 minutes already yeah it's almost 30 minutes it's so oh, short man. right it's so short I know but anyway, was an you, intro. Can, you can speak a more I think, I think, I think we were still in the intro. <laughs> I, I should cut my spiel too. I think it's also... No, no, I think I think it's not enough. But I think podcasts should not be more than 30 minutes. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just trying this out, but whatever. So I, I read, I read Mangun. I know, was it read or I listened to a, to a YouTube video? Some Buddhist monks... 
they say that suffering is because you're not being comfortable with the uncomfortable and how to be comfortable with the uncomfortable is finding ways to be comfortable so like let's say when you're stuck in Wait, traffic, can you say it again su su suffering is when you are on when you are not comfortable with the uncomfortable yeah when you resist what's what's happening like suffering is when you resist okay yeah. when, when can, you, can you say the quote again to you it's not it's not the exact quote but that's how i remember it like it's what when you resist whatever's happening to you sure so, so my example was and when i was reflecting about it my example was let, let's say you're stuck in traffic and then you hate the traffic because like it sucks it's it's really bad but how you're able to be comfortable with that uncomfortable situation is let's say you listen to good music or busy yourself with some other things that that'll help you pass the time in traffic uh. so would you say that pursuing your many passions like your your cooking your cooking stuff your food stuff your your instagram page tiny tokyo kitchen would you say that creating that space allowed you to be more comfortable with your situation right um or was it rather a result i'm not really sure of which one or was it rather a result of being comfortable that you've reached a level of comfort in your life in Japan that you had time to do, to pursue those? You thoughts? know what, Paige? I think it's the former. I think it's, I think you're right. So when you're very uncomfortable, right? So back to what you were saying at the start, right? It's like some people, like I think the whole Tim, Tim Ferriss thing about um, unknown and uncomfortable and building your own unique space. I think some people are very okay with, um, I mean, not, not being mean, right? Like a mediocre life where it's, where I mean, it, it, it does sound mean. Like a not, not mediocre, but you know, some people avoid uncomfortable situations, like they mm. avoid learning. And you only learn when you're uncomfortable and you only yeah. learn when you, you do something you've never done, right? That's so, true. so um, but to your point, when you're uncomfortable, I think you're right because when you, when well, the monk was right, because when you're, I'm sorry, you, you're saying passion, right? The, the, mm -hmm the mental state when you're uncomfortable is very insecure mm -hmm. it's like you are not fucking sure who you are mm -hmm. like who am i a as a being b as a filipino living overseas c um as a single gay man as a filipino as well as a minority mm -hmm. um as a, as a non-japanese as a as a professional trying to build my own space like there's so many levels That's of discomfort uncomfortable in so many levels yeah and i think that level of comfort actually gives you more space to be aware of things you want to do mm. it's like because there's so many things that you can't do and you can't control like you can't control your career completely because your career mm. is based on people people promoting you or people I, I guess like resounding with your you know the same values that they promote you and that they they want you to be part of them, blah, blah, blah. So it, 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 it's not about you, right? So you can't control that space. But then what you can control is your hobbies and the things you spend your time with. So when you're actually uncomfortable and you're very insecure, 
to thinking, you know, what are the things that I can do and I love that I can control? Yeah. And I think that led me to so many discoveries about food, about yeah. um, I learned to love wine, like on my first three years in Japan, because, you know, you, you just pay money, you learn wine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so it's like I learned to, to live well by traveling a lot. Um, I spent so much money in my 20s, like traveling and eating out and mm-hmm. just wasting shit loads of money on 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 consuming different shit but then um, a like i would have told my younger self to save more fine but then b if i wasn't spending that much i wouldn't have led to a level of awareness that i have right now mm-hmm. um so i do not know if that answered your question but i think it did <laughs> yeah exactly like create it was really about being able to create those little spaces in your daily life right right to feel more comfortable with how you were living your life at that point so maybe no like to your point for you to this i mean i know it's my end but i think it's interesting that what if page the people who are the most self-aware aka the people who have the most personal hobbies the ones who have very strong passions in life are, are people who have been living uncomfortably yeah I would, I would agree. Right? It's like, it's maybe people who know what they really want became who they are because they've been through so many uncomfortable situations where they did not fucking know what they were, they wanted. Like, uncomfortable right? situations and willing to, willing to go through those uncomfortable conversations. Right. I mean, yeah, there, there's a similar sort of like discussion and growth, right? It's like, it's, it's, it's the more traditional discussion, you know, people talk about like growth mindset, you have to get comfortable, you have to grow, but then people rarely talk about the personal side now. Yeah. You, you discover yourself, you know, you're more self-aware, you're more driven with your passions, you're more, I guess, like really enjoying life. That side maybe as well is link like the growth and comfort blah blah, blah. I mean, maybe they're mm-hmm. all linked together somehow mm-hmm. that is so true like look at you making your blog you know and your podcast <laughs> you know just, just all making yourself stuff. uncomfortable yeah <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of growth mindset i wanted wait to- are we done like how many minutes now yeah we're we're 35 minutes, but okay lang, no problem. <laughs> I, wanted to, I just wanted to use the remainder of the time to kind of give a glimpse of our passion project. Because you talked about oh. growth mindset. So would you care to share some, share some words about our passion project that's upcoming and hopefully by December, what was that? December 27, 2020, we'll be able to I think it was. It. I think it was 27, yeah, for some random reason, I think it was 27. You said um, that. No, there's no, there's no need to talk about that. It's going to jinx it, no? No I, just wa- no, I just want to document that at this point, we're in, it's in the works. Like, we actually were able Sure, sure. to to and I think you know what? Okay, so interestingly enough, that you 
it about being uncomfortable is I felt that way about I've reached a certain level of more parang sort of sort of like professional discomfort. It's like it's like fine. We're in our thirties. We're both thirty-one. We're turning thirty-two in, in six months or something like that, right? Oh my god, we're turning two in six months, man. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Um, we're thirty-two, but then, like, we are just like working. You know, it's like we're just hamsters on a wheel. You know, we're turning the gears of time, turning the gears of society, and just like you know, making bureaucrat earn the money and then we're part of the whole cycle. You know, it's like, it's like you're one of them, whole rat race thing. And then, um, I'm very uncomfortable with that because yeah. I feel like as a Filipino living overseas, as educated, you know, like young millennials who, I mean, you know, we are products of a public high school education yeah. that has, and we both went to the same private, snooty, yeah, we, you know, we primary school. From playgroup, to college to high school i know yeah we went through all you know the same schools and then i think um i mean not that i'm fully supportive of the government but then i think the public institution that has molded us you know to be who we are Mm -hmm. and it is a bit i think it is a bit like embarrassing to say personally for me in amurag I never really did anything to give back. Mm-hmm. And it's guilt, but guilt should never drive you in what you do. Guilt is not the right motivation to do something because mm-hmm. it's quite passive. But yeah. then guilt opened me up to the idea now. You know, you were saying about earlier, right, Namurag, um, your own insecurities, not being a top student, blah, blah. But now it's on the other way, it's, it's on the other way around. Like, it's, I'm insecure about my securities. Because I'm very comfortable, I'm very, I'm living a very good life, but I'm very insecure because I'm not giving back. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not guilt anymore. I think it's more of like a like a liability or like a responsibility to do something. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not like a leadership thing, but it's more of just like I'm not an activist. If you noticed, and I'm not sure if you are. You probably are a bit, but I'm not, not very vocal about you, right? I'm not very vocal about my own you know personal beliefs about you know government and you know, how, how we should all run things. But then I think as private, you know, like citizens, we all have a role to play. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where our passion project comes in. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's the right time. We have the resources. I mean, also financially, we can do things if you want to. Um, so I think we are in the right place to actually give back. And it's not monetary, you know, you can just give mm-hmm. donation whenever you want. I mean, fine. I mean, Great for people who donate their money and time, of course, it's great. But then, in the same, you know, like trend of being, um, what's the term, Paige? Um, not destabilizer, you know, what do you call the like Ubers? No, what are they like the Googles and the Ubers and the Facebooks? Um, disruptors, yeah, <laughs> like you know, like disruptors, like you know, it's good to use your time and disrupt something. You really want to give back you know, give back full force. Aww. So that is, that is a glimpse of our project in six months, which we hope will be launched. <laughs> Fingers crossed. And you know, on what December 27. Really, sorry? On December 27. Yeah, on December 27. So watch out for it. <laughs> I love what you said because it's really in line with, with one of the quotes that 
uh, law professor who's also a Jesuit shared with us in law school before, which really stuck with me through the years. No? It's about bagabag. Dis mm. Being disturbed. I don't know if it's a Wait, Jesuit. Bagabag is Tagalog? Yeah, it's Tagalog. I don't know if it's a Jesuit uh, value, but those words really stuck to me. Bagabag. Na. When you're in a position of, say, influence or power or at the very least security, mm. don't settle for that feeling always have that room to be disturbed always have that room for bagabag because that's where you will find out that you can you can do more or you know you can pay it forward give give more to those who have to those who have either served you or to those who haven't served you but you're called to serve it sounds crazy, but it sounds crazy, is, but like yeah is sorry. bagabag like um is bagabag, what is it, a verb, an adjective? What is it like? What is I think it it's like a noun. That means, um, I, I don't know lang, or I'm not a Tagalog expert, but like, <laughs> associated with being disturbed. Being is disturbed. it like empathy? No, it's no. not necessarily empathy, but that conscience. That maybe, maybe conscience. On but, that side, no? so it's on the value then, like values and conscience and like principles, something on that line. Yeah, but I've always yeah. associated it with being disturbed. So you can't just settle mm. for you being comfortable where sure, you are. Sure. It's always that internal check in you mm. to, I don't know, to do more mm. with the with the Jesuit. Uh, value of magis stuff like that. Right, right, yeah. So with that, we will we shall end our second episode. Thank you so much for super short. Yeah, we'll continue this conversation after I stop recording. But thank you so much. Bye. My pleasure. <laughs>